Christ podcast. I'd like to welcome you to the Simply Christ podcast. Um, I am your host, Salom Westmore, and today we have a special guest, as well as our usual suspect, Adam and I. It's exciting to have today with us the pastor, the reverend. In Ghana, we would refer to him as the re- the pastor, the reverend, the Osofu, <laughs> Timothy Bruce Covey, known as Braxy Covey, which, who is a Canadian pastor and author. He's the teaching pastor at the Meeting House, one of Canada's largest churches. He's also the author of two books that we will talk about um, as we proceed. Um, you're welcome to the Simply Christ podcast, Braxy. Hey, my friends. Thank you for inviting it's me. It's good to have you. Yeah. This is a real privilege. It feels like family. Yeah. I'm just saying I love how we're using technology to just hang out across the globe at the same time together. Um, I, this little yeah. miracle of, of technology yeah. is just such a gift. So I'm really grateful to be invited to be a part of this. Yeah, I'm sure the pandemic has something to do with it. God used the pandemic to get us to do a lot yeah. of Zoom and yeah. get into conversations like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So anyway, so we'd like to get to know a bit about Braxy. Um, so I'll just go with a few questions. Um, tell us about your journey as a Christian and about that. Anabaptist movement at the Meeting House. All right, sure. So I grew up as a Christian, but I don't know if you've ever had a friend who you really enjoyed hanging out with, but maybe your friend started to date someone who you didn't get along with. And um, (laughs) you, you really wanted to warn your friend about her or about him and um, but they persisted and they were dating them. And then you have a choice to make. If I want to hang out with my friend, now I've got to hang out with both of them. And mm. this is going to be a weird uh, love-hate hangout. And that's how I started to feel about Jesus and the bride of Christ. I started to feel like, Jesus, mm. I love you. Wow. But this, this woman in your life <laughs> that you call your bride, she's um, she's not healthy. <laughs> Um, And so I've always, you know, really loved Jesus, but been challenged by the church. And then, of course, I realized, wait a second, I am part of the bride of Christ. I am part of the body of Christ. And I need to learn how to not push away the church, but embrace the church while helping the church to be healthy. And so um, I've always loved Jesus and always loved people out there. And I, I want to introduce the two together. And even even the church, I think, needs to be reintroduced to Jesus every generation, or we'll, we will become distracted. So um, so I want to, non-Christians, I want them to find Jesus. Christians, same thing. I want them to get to know Jesus all over again. And, um, and so I've been the pastor of the Meeting House for a few decades now. And the, the Meeting House is just a radically Jesus-centered church, which shouldn't sound that radical for a Christian to be focused on Christ. I mean, it's right in the name. You'd think that that's what Christians do. We're focused on Christ. But sometimes church history shows us that Christians can be focused on on other things. We can be focused on church tradition, on culture. We can be focused on God and country being fused together into an earthly political kingdom. And we can even be focused on the Bible, which is better, but it's still not what it means to be a Christian. You can be focused on the Bible and still not know Jesus. Jesus regularly criticized the religious leaders of his day for loving the scriptures, but failing to use the scriptures to actually come all the way to Jesus. That's John chapter five. So, um, so I, uh, I really love being a part of this movement at the meeting house, the Anabaptist Christianity that um, keeps bringing us back to Jesus as the center of our faith. Wow, that's 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 lovely to hear. Um, so at Simply Christ, we're 
simply Christ because we want to be focused on Jesus Christ. Good. Shows why we are we are brothers. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's so true. Yeah. About your about your book. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking, as you say, we are brothers. Um, this is the miracle of Jesus. We, you know, sometimes people debate uh, about his miracles. I mean, um, secular folks will debate: Did he really walk on water and turn water into wine? We all like that miracle. Um, did he really rise from the dead? But we can experience one of his greatest miracles right now, and that's being family when we have nothing else in common. We weren't born in the same place. We don't look the same. We don't have the same culture. And yet we are real family. Like we have more in common. I have more in common with you guys and you have more in common with me than we do with other people in our own neighborhood who aren't united together by Jesus. And that sense of mm. spiritual family is such a gift that Jesus gives us that um, I think it's it's one of the most beautiful miracles that we can experience here today. I think Peter said, um, we've left family, we've left friends, we've left property, mm. we've left all of that. And Jesus, and what will we get? And Jesus actually promised that you get family yeah. here on earth yeah. and also in heaven yeah, yeah. i think that's yeah. it starts that's in this life me. yeah 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 anyway um so so talking about two books your um, reunion and um End of religion. I think you've written three books now, but I mean, end of religion is like one that you're trying to bring confusion to the church. <laughs> <laughs> what tell us about why? What drove you to to like write those books? What what drove you to write those books? Yeah. Well. I wanted to write some books that Christians could use to begin a conversation with their non-Christian friends. Uh, I wanted to write books that non-Christians could read to learn more about Jesus, but Christians could also read and grow in their faith. And I said, I, I want to do both. There's lots of great books out there written to Christians about how to evangelize, how to talk to your friends. But I didn't want to just write a book to Christians. I wanted to write a book that actually did the talking to a non-Christian and a Christian could join the conversation. And so I wrote The End of Religion to really introduce non-Christians or maybe people who have walked away from the church and been really disappointed with religion, really discouraged with religion. They're not quite ready to jettison the idea of God. And they might still have a... A, a soft spot for Jesus in their heart said, okay, I want to reach out to them. So I was writing the end of religion to non-Christians, but as, as it got published and got read, I heard also from a lot of Christians who said, I know you've written this to my non-Christian friend, but I'm reading this and I'm rediscovering my faith all over again. And I'm putting Jesus back in the center of it. So um, I think these books are both, are both and, you know, inviting non-Christians to consider Jesus, but inviting Christians to start from scratch and put Jesus back in the center again. You know, it's a, it's really, it really makes a difference whether or not you keep Jesus in the center of your faith. For instance, um, in the 1500s, there was this thing called the Protestant Reformation in Western church history. So you have the Catholic Church that was unhealthy at the time, and they were letting a lot of traditions uh, take over, indulgences and other things that were unhealthy. And our Catholic friends would admit the same thing. They were unhealthy at that time. So the Protestants said, we can't let tradition lead the church. We have to let the Bible lead the church. So they put the Bible back in the center of the church. But they didn't put Jesus at the center. They put the Bible at the center. And 
Now we have a real live historical experiment. What happens when you put the Bible at the center of your faith? And well, what happens is you get some things right, but there's also some ugly stuff that you, you, you have a blind spot to, you don't realize. For instance, Protestants became just as violent as the Catholics. They, they went to war just as much as the Catholics. They persecuted whoever they thought disagreed with them, called them heretics and persecuted them just as much as the Catholic. They burned witches just as much as the Catholics. They, they were violent and judgmental just as much. And they had the Bible in the middle of their faith. But the problem is that you can find violence in the Bible. You can justify, you can justify burning people you think are witches in the Bible. You could just, so the Protestants said, we're not going to listen to tradition. We're just going to listen to the Bible, sola scriptura. But they found all the violence there for them. And, and, and so on the heels of the Protestant Reformation, right behind it, one generation later comes the Radical Reformation, who come along and say, thank you for putting the Bible in the center of our faith, but now we need to put the Jesus of the Bible in the center of the center of our faith. Because if we don't do that, we're going to go astray. And so the Radical Reformers um, really brought the church back to Jesus. And you know, thank God, that really... That's where we should have been all along. Uh, we should have been closely clinging to Jesus. Um, and so I want every generation to hear to have that same reformation, the radical reformation, to say we need to get back to Jesus. Wow. That's that's a beautiful way to get to the topic. But, but I don't think you talked about reunion, though. No, that's true. Reunion, um, reunion just asked the question, what is the gospel? What is the good news message of Jesus? And we talk about the gospel in three different ways that help us remember it. I talk about the gospel in one word, the gospel in three words, and the gospel in 30 words. And uh, the book is broken down into the gospel in one word, three words, and 30 words. And these are just memory tools to help Christians remember the gospel and then communicate the gospel to other people. And then the end of religion kind of zeroes in on one aspect of the gospel, the new covenant and how the new covenant means the end of the old covenant and the, the radical shift that happens from moving out of one covenant into a completely new covenant. That's, that's one focus of the gospel that, uh, that I highlight in the end of religion. Okay. Okay. That's um, the, it's interesting because most of our um, discussions are simply Christ's and then we'll testify is that we have come up, we start talking about, we actually started talking about the gospel. We did videos on like the gospel because we felt like the gospel was thwarted um, and we didn't know exactly what the message was because that has affected the way people have and um, people feel they are becoming Christians and they are actually becoming they are, they are trying to join a club of people who are prospering because of Jesus. Mm. Prosperity gospel in there. They are trying to become something else because they feel like they're buying into some level of um, liberty to, um, to do whatever they want to do so they can gain access to the things that God gives because God is um, he's the king of all kings and Jesus is the king of all kings and therefore our father is rich so we should come and get that and that was, we had conversations around that and then, then your book came out so it kind of like helped us as well to um, okay. to streamline the conversation and get videos together. And yeah, um, uh, that's good. It's 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 helpful for people to remember that the old covenant was a national covenant. So God's people was a nation on this planet and it was an ethnic covenant. God's people were a particular ethnicity. So it's a very physical geographical, um, earthly covenant. And so God's blessings were material and God's punishments were material. And if they followed God, they were prosperous. And if they didn't, they were uh, conquered and taken into slavery. And all that happened was, it was all very physical. And their warfare was physical. That's the nature of the old covenant. 
The new covenant changes all of that. So God's people are not a particular ethnicity, not a particular nation. Our warfare is spiritual, not physical. And also God's blessing is going to be deeply spiritual, not just physical. I mean, we may suffer more following Jesus. We might lose our homes and our riches. So in the old covenant, you would get bigger families, bigger homes, more money, uh, and and your nation would prosper. In the new covenant, it's a spiritual nation, and the blessings are spiritual. So for prosperity gospel, I think, to for it to be promoted, for it to thrive, people have to lose sight of the new covenant. They, they have to... They have to be taught to go back into the old covenant to figure out how God works as though we're the new nation of Israel and the new covenant changes all of that. So I think really helping people get a grip on the new covenant and the change that Jesus makes and the nature of the kingdom of heaven on earth, which Jesus brings, um, which is going to also change our understanding of what blessing looks like. I think a, a real understanding of the new covenant kingdom of Christ will help us see how the prosperity gospel is not the gospel that Jesus preached. That, that's interesting because we actually have a, a podcast. Um, there's a list of podcasts where we have like the problem with, uh, they're titled the problem with the prosperity gospel, the problem with the faith, the faith movement, the problem with, um, I think a bunch of things like that. And, and, um, you certainly we look, I mean we look forward to to recording those ones um, and those ones uh, yeah you've already you've already started uh, setting the, the groundwork for that so all right <laughs> the groundwork yeah 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 I'm sure I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll try another we'll try and see whether we'll get you on some of them sure, yeah um, so I, I think you yeah I, I was going to bring up the old covenant and the new covenant, but let's just start from the beginning. So um, I, I looked at Google, Google, I Googled Bible, the Bible, and then the Bible and Google said, the Bible is used by Christians to give them guidance about how they can live their lives in the way God would want them to. And there is guidance in the Bible on many areas of life and Christians will tend to this advice when they are faced with a dilemma. Is this the case with the Bible? What is the Bible to you? Like, how do we go about Yeah, that's good. The, the Bible is, is not our guide. The Bible points to our guide, who is Jesus. And that's an important distinction to make. We, we love the Bible. We read the Bible. We study the Bible, but so that we can get to know Jesus. And then we follow Jesus. We don't just follow the Bible in general. If you say, well, I follow the Bible, well, that means someone can turn to almost anything that they want to in the Bible and say, well, it's in the Bible, so we should do it. And we can justify all kinds of things that are not the way of Jesus. Um, so we, we need to use the Bible to lead us to Jesus, and then we follow Jesus. So in other words, the Bible is more like John the Baptist than Jesus. The Bible says, behold the Lamb of God, and then we look at Jesus. Um, or the Bible is more like the star of Bethlehem at Christmas that leads the Magi to Jesus. It's a gift from God. It's inspired by God. It's useful, says 2 Timothy 3.16. It's inspired by God and useful. You should use it. But what yeah. do you use it for? You don't use the Bible to be your Messiah or your King or your Lord. You use the Bible to lead you to your Lord, like the star of Bethlehem leads the Magi to Jesus. But in the end, they worship Jesus, not the star. And so yeah. if, we, yeah. if, we, if we don't let the Bible lead us to Jesus, we can turn the Bible itself into an idol that takes the place of Jesus. And that can get us into a lot of trouble as a Christian movement. Okay, yeah, okay. 
Um, so I, um, Brian Zand, um, Brian Zand, um, <laughs> he tweeted something last, um, was it yesterday? He tweeted something. He said the Bible is, is the inspired story told by particular people, the Jewish people, of how over a particular period of time, more or less a thousand years, they came to know the living God, and I'm here for it. That's what he tweeted. And, and one of the responses that I saw was, is it non, not inerrant or infallible? That's a question somebody asked. And um, I, I want you to address that. Like anytime you're in traffic and there's something going wrong, you have to open the Bible and get guidance from the Bible. And you have to do all of these things. Um, some of these um, notions of what the Bible is has cost the church a lot, has caused us to move into the wrong direction and do lots of things like you already you already mentioned. But what does is why what do you think the Bible is? Is it um, I think this problem of inerrant Bible and infallible Bible. Did you say something about it? Yes, sure. Uh, the the even the ideas of inerrancy and infallibility are words or categories that are are not the kinds of words and categories that Jewish people would think in terms of. The the people who wrote the Bible didn't use those words. They what they did say is that all scripture is inspired. That means breathed out by God. Now, we're the ones who say, well, if it's inspired by God, God is perfect, therefore the Bible must be perfect. But that's a step we've taken. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says all scripture is inspired by God, it's breathed out by God. But of course, God partners and word into imperfect people. God is perfect, but he partners with imperfect people to lead the church, evangelize the world, write scripture, copy scripture, preserve scripture, translate scripture. It's all the work of imperfect people. So I don't think we should be surprised if we see in the Bible that there is perfection and imperfection mixed together. That's good news. That just says, ah, I can see the perfection. It must be a miracle. It's inspired by God. And we're right. Oh, I see imperfection. God must be partnering with people. They're imperfect. That's also right. Um, we don't have to pretend that God didn't partner with human beings. He did. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, I think is one of the most clear statements of Scripture, which I've already met, read earlier, but it says that um, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. Uh, and then goes on to talk about the ways that it's useful and that it will equip us for uh, every good work, every good work. So the Bible says it comes from God, it's God-breathed, and that means you should use it. You should use it. So the most biblical thing we can say about the Bible is that it comes from God and we should use it. And then getting into an argument of, is every word perfect, which is an argument about the original manuscripts only, which we don't have anymore, it becomes a theoretical argument about something that doesn't even exist anymore. The question is, does my Bible and your Bible and the Bibles we can open up, which are have been preserved by the church, I think with the Holy Spirit's help, and have been translated into English and may have some minor errors in them, but is, that, is it trustworthy, is it inspired by God, and should we use it? That's... That's the way the Bible thinks about itself. And the answer is yes, we should use it. Now, the Bible points us to Jesus, and it does say Jesus is perfect. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is the Word of God. So if I believe that the Bible is inspired by God and useful, so I use it, I will learn about the perfect, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And His name is Jesus. And, and I think that's something that I would want to add on to that, because if you look at 2 Timothy 3.16, like we read already, um, 
See, all scripture is God breathed, God breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, and, and, and I think we don't pay enough. Maybe we, we get stuck on the God breathed part. And so we are not looking at what follows from that because it, it then continues to talk about it being useful for what purpose? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may do every good work. Now, if we as are Christians and we are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate person who did any good work. So the scripture is supposed to be teaching us to be equipped so that we can do good works. The, the person who signifies and personifies all good works is Jesus Christ. Yeah, so amen. We, it, we do not need to have the scripture being perfect. We just need it to lead us to that person who represents all the good work that God yes. wants so that yes. we can learn what real righteousness is and real life really means for us. Amen. So that, Amen. That's, that's an important part. The focusing on is inspired. So like every... I and every T must be crossed and dotted and everything must line up perfectly is to miss the point of 2 Timothy 3.16. Yes. Um, God can can perfectly inspire something, but as it gets translated and passed on and recorded by imperfect humans, it, it will bear the marks of both. Right? It'll we'll see miraculous perfection, and we see that in scripture, and we'll also see human error. And we see that in scripture. And that's not a threat to our faith. That shouldn't make us say, oh, no, the Bible has mistakes in it. Say, oh, no, that's that's part of our theology, is that the perfect God partners with imperfect people, and he communicates his love to the world that way. The only perfect human yeah. who perfectly communicates the perfect love of God is Jesus. And so we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So that means that the Bible, um, so when people actually come, I, I know lots of people who actually don't want to be Christians anymore, basically, because they, they keep saying the Bible is, is problematic. And anytime I have a conversation with anybody who says the Bible is problematic, I'm like, how are you now noticing it? I'm like, it is problematic. The Bible is problematic. It can cause trouble in so many ways, but the focus has to be on Jesus. Yeah. And, and that's not obvious. That's not very obvious to people because of the gospel we preach, because we make people come to and give them the Bible and say the Bible is the key. And the key is the word of God, who is Jesus. So David said, that word have I hidden in, your heart, in my heart that I might not sin against you. Someone one night talked about the word is um, sweeter than honey, than honey from the honey call. Um, I, I love your law. I love the word. The law of the Lord is perfect. And then, and it seems to be our reference to when we talk about, when we look, read that scripture, most preachers are saying it means the word of God, which is the Bible literally and then then we come to jesus christ opening scriptures and and reading isaiah 61 um reading um the spirit of the lord is falling upon me um and all of that like what was what is the scriptures when it's when he says that and what is paul what does paul mean by all scripture is given what is all scripture? Good, good. What are yeah. they referring to? Yeah, so, right, the Apostle Paul would be referring to the what we would now call the Old Testament. That's true. And Jesus says something very interesting about that that, that, that may help us kind of sort out what you're talking about, Salarm. And that is, he's when he's talking to religious mm. leaders— who are reading the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, they not only read it, they studied it from childhood and they memorized 
large portions of it. So they would say like, David, I'm hiding the word of God in my heart so that I might not sin. He's addressing these people. And when he's talking to them, Jesus says this in John 5 and um, around verse 37, he says to them, John 5, 37, you have never heard God's voice or seen his form. Now verse 38, nor does his word dwell in you for you do not believe in the one that he has sent. Jesus is talking to people who memorize the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on the Bible, hide the Bible in their hearts. And Jesus says, yes, but you don't know the word of God. It's just scripture to you. It's a religious writing. But until you let the words on the page lead you to the word of God in person, the word of God in print has to lead you to the word of God in person. Until the words lead you to the word, you don't know the word of God. It's not the word of God to you. It's just writings on a page. That's uh, that, that changes everything. It's not just enough for us to study the Bible. We need to let the Bible lead us to Jesus, or we do not know the word of God. Oh, uh, wow. Uh. Yeah, so so I think in, in this sense, the usage of the phrase, the word of God in the New Testament is specifically Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when you look at the Old Testament, I think much of the time when they are talking about the word, mostly the laws of Moses and stuff like that. But yes. here Jesus is saying, you guys know all that, but you don't know me because I am the word, which means all that you had was just scripture. You don't know me. Yeah. Which is that's really, right. That's really right. interesting. Yes. That's a such a profound line of Jesus to say, you do not have the word of God in you, <laughs> even though they daily put scripture in them. They didn't have the word of God in them. That's very powerful. And it's very convicting. Um, Cause I think it could apply to Christians too, who, <laughs> study the Bible, but don't focus on Jesus. They can miss the word of God. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Anyway, um, wow. So we must focus on Jesus as Christians. We must let Jesus tell, let's, let's have a little bit more discussion on when we say focus on Jesus, what does that mean? Because mm-hmm. um, focus on Jesus will definitely not having a picture of white Jesus or black Jesus posted in your room and looking at that. Uh, if focus on Jesus, what does it mean when we say focus? Yeah, good. Jesus has a, a great... Um, a great line on chapter 12, uh, John chapter 12. Um, he says this three verses, verses 44, 45, and 46 in John 12. He says, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but also believes in the one who sent me. So Jesus says, You can put all your faith in me, and that's putting your faith in God. You don't have to have some faith for Jesus, some faith for the Father, some faith for the Holy Spirit, some faith in the Bible. Some faith. He says, just put all your faith in me. It's one-stop shopping with Jesus. It's really simple. It's a, a simple focus for our faith. It's simply Christ. We just put all our faith in Jesus. And he says, when you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. And then the next verse, he says, and when you look at me, you're seeing the one who sent me. So if we want to know what God is like, that great invisible power that created the universe, we can't figure that out, but we can look at Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we study Jesus, we get to know Jesus, we're getting to know the creator of the universe. The one who looks at me, he says, is seeing the one who sent me. That's powerful. And then he says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So something about Jesus is going to shed light on how to understand scripture, how to be the church, uh, how to make good decisions. Um, It's going to shed light on our sin. It's going to shed light on the pathway. Thy word is a light. 
for my path. Um, you know, I want to follow. Well, Jesus is ultimately that word who is the light who's going to show us the way to go. So um, he puts himself at the center. And as Christians, we either believe and trust in Jesus or we don't. But if we're going to trust in Jesus, then we've got to admit that Jesus says he's the word, he's the path, he's the way, he's the light. And if we want to believe in God, we just need to focus on Jesus. So that's what Jesus says. And then the rest of the New Testament backs him up. Like uh, the author of Hebrews says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 3, he says, let us keep our minds fixed on Jesus. Uh, so the, the New Testament supports the fact that we believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But our starting point to understand the Father and Holy Spirit is to focus on the Son. Adam, do you have anything? Yeah, which leads to me to... I have some thoughts on this, but I want to ask uh, uh, Braggsy, let me hear what he, he he thinks. I mean, given how central Jesus himself is to, to even knowing and understanding who God is and what the whole Christian faith is about, why have many within the church consistently um, denied Jesus that central role? Mm. We are either using him as a tool to something we want, or we are making excuses for why we shouldn't take Jesus seriously. Like, why are we so committed to a vision of God that uh, will be inconsistent with Jesus Christ? Mm. Why do we feel the natural edge to say, do not take Jesus himself seriously at this. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Adam. the, uh, I wonder if, as we look at church history, there, there is a significant shift when Constantine comes into power where with the church who had been persecuted by the Roman empire. I mean, you can see the plot twist is amazing. The church who had been persecuted by the Roman empire now has a Christian, someone who claims to believe in Christ as the emperor of the Roman empire. They must've felt like this is the kingdom of heaven come to earth. This is, this is the greatest Victory. miracle of God, right? Yeah, this Victory. is God's blessing. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to go with this. And at mm -hmm. that point, you have to, the church has to do some theological rethinking. For instance, if Rome is now the kingdom of God, well, there are barbarians at the gate who want to, they want to sack Rome. They want to, they want to destroy Rome. So Rome has to defend itself. But Jesus said you're to love your enemies and lay your life down for them. Uh, but Rome can't become a pacifist peace nation. They've got to defend their borders. So, so mm -hmm. Christians have to do this interesting mental shift. For the first 300 years, uh, the Christian movement was a peace movement. They were nonviolent. And then Constantine says, well, I believe in Jesus, and I'm going to support you. And the church must have been so grateful. They rewrite their theology and say, okay, well, you know, you can't have all the Roman soldiers becoming Christians and saying, well, we refuse to fight. So we're going to follow Jesus and lay down our, our weapons. So the Christian theologians, that generation start to rethink and say, well, maybe Jesus said not to fight, but you know, King David, he led Israel to war. See, they had to go back mm -hmm. to the old covenant and, and, you know, Moses and then Joshua, they led Israel to war. So they start in order to support Rome, which is now Christian, apparently, they mm -hmm. have to decentralize Jesus. And Jesus has to become just one more character in the Bible, along with mm -hmm. David and Joshua yeah. mm -hmm. and Moses mm -hmm. and Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he gets to be one of the characters, too. But you have to balance mm -hmm. it out. I think mm -hmm. that's when the church lost its way and really shifted. Yeah. And the only way you could support war to uh, to support Rome would be if you took Jesus out of the center and mm -hmm. you went back into mm -hmm. the Old Testament. And we've never mm -hmm. recovered from that. We we yeah. still do that today. Um, I, I, and which is probably why um, uh, uh, Brian Zahn says Jesus was appointed uh, uh, to the head of afterlife affairs. Yes. Uh, you know, because if you just let him be 
Yeah, the one who gets us off the hook with God, so we can still go back to do everything else yes. which was in the Bible before him. Yes, so we love Jesus as Savior. If Jesus is our Savior, that's great. But Jesus as Lord, well, that's threatening. Um, we would prefer Jesus to share his Lordship with David and with Joshua and with other Old Testament saints. And it's a committee of Lordship. So we kind of follow Jesus, but we also follow the Old Testament when it's convenient. And and no, to say Jesus, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, verse 9, Romans 10, 9, he says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're saved. Jesus becomes our Savior when we submit to Jesus as Lord. Mm-hmm. So we tell people at the meeting house, you don't have to worry about trying to get Jesus to be your Savior. Uh, the Bible, Paul didn't say confess that Jesus is your Savior. He said confess he's your Lord. And when mm-hmm. you submit to Jesus as Lord— the good news is you get him as Savior as part of the package. That's mm-hmm. true. You'll be saved and you go to heaven when you die. But his lordship starts now in this life. Um, and yet the evangelical church has shifted that emphasis to say, just pray a prayer, make Jesus your Savior, go to heaven when you die. And how do we live in this world? Well, uh, let's look at King David. Let's look at Joshua. Let's look at Moses. Let's look at the mm-hmm. prophets. Let, let's look at the blessings and the promises to Israel. And now we've left Jesus. You know, he did his thing. He'll get us into heaven. Mm-hmm. We're turning everywhere else to find out how to live in the world. Um, and that's not living the Christian life, really. Mm-hmm. That's, well, that's, that's interesting. So now I want us to talk about the Bible, um, how people read it. I have a question here that I'll read out and then I think that would be, um, sometimes I have a hard time as to what passage of scripture I should read. I like to continue reading the book that I currently I am currently reading. However, I would find myself reading a different book in the Bible. I don't understand why I do this, but what I read matches often with the sermon of our pastor in the church um, or on situations I'm going through. Am I doing it right? Do you have tips on how I can balance Bible reading and devotionals in my everyday life? And this is to have a discussion about um, how do we read the Bible? What are the healthy ways to read the Bible? Um, I know people discuss, I, I know two ways. One I heard from you and the other one was devotional reading. So um, devotional reading and then um, I'm, I'm sure when when it comes to studying the Bible, maybe people would talk about um, character study and all of that. But when we're talking about just reading the Bible, um, I think David, I think David, um, the that's a that's a verse David talking about on the on that word I meditate day and night. So mm-hmm. it's something that everybody feels like uh, most of Christians, when you become a Christian, you get that into your system. It's pumped into your system. Right. And so you feel like I need to read it in the morning, read it in the evening, or at, at least if I get too busy, at least. I need to read it once in a while. And also I, I listened to a sermon um, by Greg Boyd. Yes. And he said that he he had he was holding himself for not reading the Bible regularly, like for just reading the Bible. He he was he said he was reading the he he's coming into the habit of just reading the Bible to understand something so that he can teach. Um, and to uh-huh, and that and that he was repenting from that and that he just needed to fall in love with the with the word of God again as in mm-hmm. the Bible and to read it and to imbibe the, the whatever is in there for for him. But I want us to have that discussion about how to read the Bible devotionally, um, yeah, That's conversationally, good, yeah. That's a good question. It's very practical. Um, I, I would suggest. However you read the Bible, start with Jesus. 
and return to Jesus regularly because he will help you interpret the rest of the Bible. If you if there's something you don't understand, you want to ask the question, what does Jesus say on this topic and bring it back to him? Because that's the purpose of the Bible is to lead us to Jesus. So start with Jesus. When someone's new to the faith, I encourage them just start with the Sermon on the Mount and read the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, and get to know it. And then you can move out into the rest of the Bible. But now you read out into the rest of the Bible with Jesus as your guide. He's, he's your tour guide for the rest of the Bible. Um, but, but he's not, remember, he's not just one character in the Bible. He's the central character and he's our Lord. So he'll lead us through the rest of the Bible. But to, to let him be your Lord and your leader, you're going to have to get to know Jesus first really well. So always start with Jesus and then return regularly to the teachings of Jesus. Venture off into the rest of scripture, but then come back to the teachings of Jesus regularly. Um, there's a line from Jesus at the end of his life in the Great Commission, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And, you know, let's play, let's play guess that next word. I'm going to quote the Great Commission, and you guess the next word. All right? Here we go. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to, what's the next Me. word? Me. So there would have been a chance for Jesus to say, now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the word of God. Go read that holy book. No, it doesn't say that, right? It's it's not the book that leads us. It's Jesus who leads us. He has all authority. Yeah. I'm going to keep going. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. I have told you. <laughs> I have, it's right. So another, that could have been another great spot for Jesus to say, and teach them to obey everything written in God's holy book. Teach them to obey everything that scripture says. That's not what Jesus says. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now we can learn about Jesus from every book of the Bible, but we need to pull it back to Jesus. So the great commission, discipleship, Growing in Christ is always saying, what has Jesus said to me through through whatever passage I'm reading? What has Jesus said? And if we're going to recognize the voice of Jesus, we've got to come back to the Gospels regularly and then go and read the rest of the Bible. So start with Jesus, return to Jesus, and then you'll learn how to hear the voice of Jesus on every page of the Bible. Wow. Adam, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, Bragzi has said it quite succinctly. This works, it's, yeah. I mean, my experience, we've always like, oh, you, you are a new Christian. Okay, go read the Bible. And I, uh, yes, I I started off that way, but now I do see the deficiency in that because there is so, the Bible is, is, is such a huge thing and it covers so many things. And because we are meant to be disciples of Jesus Christ and not disciples of the Bible, like Ragzi, as I said, it means getting to know Jesus Christ and understanding him well is, is, is key to understanding everything else. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. And, and, and when we are talking about, um, we are talking about so devotional readings and reading for study and so on. Yes, those are... Um, so one of the things we, we see a lot in a lot of churches, like on the Ghanaian um, uh, scene, is people pick up scripture, they are reading it. Maybe they, are, they have a personal situation and they are reading a, a particular passage of scripture and they feel that passage of scripture, most of the time taken out of context, right? But just maybe that verse alone sort of... Um, speaks to the particular situation they may be in or someone they know uh, is in. Hmm. And, but we have the tendency to jump off and now see that this is how this scripture should always be interpreted. So it moves from a situational reading to what is actually preached at the pulpit. Hmm. Yes. And, and, you... and that can be very destructive. Yes, yes. In Matthew chapter 5, the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us how to read the Old Testament. He teaches us how to read our own Bibles. Um, he, he says, uh, 
don't think I have come to abolish the law, verse 17. And I'm sure all the religious people went, phew, good. He did not come to abolish it. But the sentence doesn't end there, right? He says, I haven't come to abolish it, but, but, but I have come to fulfill it. It's all leading to me. The, the Bible is like a train taking you somewhere. And Jesus is the train station. He's the goal where the train is taking you. But when you when the train gets to the train station, you don't just sit on the train and stay there. You get off and you move into the train station, into the town, into the city on a hill, the bright light on a hill. And so Jesus says, um, uh, uh, I've come to fulfill. I haven't come to abolish, but I have come to fulfill. I'm where all of scripture is taking us. He's taking us to me. So then he goes on and he he has the contrasts where he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. He says that six times. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And many of those times he quotes scripture, but he claims his own authority over scripture. And that shouldn't scandalize anyone to say that I once had someone at church come up to me and say, Brexy, are you saying that Jesus has more authority than the Bible itself? I said, duh. Uh, he's God. And they said, but basically <laughs> Jesus and the Bible are the same thing, right? And I said, wait, do you realize what you just said there? Yes, one of them is God's inspired guidebook, but the other one is your Lord and Savior who died on the cross for your sins and is the king of your kingdom. Mm -hmm. No, they're not the same thing. One is like John of the Baptist. Course. I mean, the, 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 the Bible didn't die on the cross for you. Right, that's right. <laughs> so, um, Jesus says, you know, for instance, you've heard it said, but I tell you, and at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you listen to what the crowds say when they respond. It says they were amazed because he talked like someone who has authority. Sorry to Because yeah. a, a rabbi teaching at that time didn't just get to say, here's what I believe. They had to base it on Scripture because Scripture was the authority. But Jesus got to say, you have heard it said but I tell you, he actually disagreed with scripture because the timing was changing. The new covenant was coming. A rabbi didn't get to talk that way, um, but Jesus took authority over the whole thing. So we need to read scripture in a way that leads us to Jesus, or we will miss, we will miss what God is saying to us. And the church does that so often, which is so sad. It's sad that the Jews in the first century missed their Messiah. But it's more than sad. It's tragic if Christians miss the Messiah because yeah. you know, we're, we're just focused on the Bible in general and not Jesus. We have no excuse. Yeah, that's that's interesting. But but I think people also tend to say that the Old Testament is abolished. Like Paul is saying, um, is it the writer of Hebrews says, um, talked about the new covenant has come, has made the first one obsolete. Yes. And and I, I know you got into it in the beginning. Um, what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. So um, what does that actually mean? How do we look at the Old Testament then? Like, how do we read the Old Testament when we are reading the scriptures? Good, yeah. good. Yes. So if if I read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches me how to read the Old Testament. And he, remember those contrasts, you have heard it said, but I tell you. One example is, this is the first one. He says, you have heard it said, do not murder. Thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, do not even hate. Do not even get angry with your brother or sister. Do not even disrespect them with name calling, because it's like you're murdering them in your heart with your hatred and with your anger. So Jesus is actually teaching us how to read the Bible. There's a command in the Bible, thou shalt not murder. Jesus says, don't just listen to the law. Ask the question, what is the love behind the law? Um, what's the reason behind the rule? Don't just look at the rule, but look at the reason behind the rule. So thou shall not murder. Why? Ask the question, why? Because this is an image bearer of God. So Jesus says, not only should you not murder them, you shouldn't even disrespect them. You shouldn't call them 
a name. You shouldn't hate them in your heart. So he's teaching us to look, yeah, there's the text, but then he says, go beneath the text and look at why did God say this? Now that we can obey all the time. Every verse of the Bible, I can obey if I'm looking beneath the surface at the reason behind the rule. Here's here's an example. Here's an example. Um, Leviticus 19. Um, Leviticus 19 is a, a chapter has a whole bunch of different rules. Some of them we really like, like Leviticus 19, verse 18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Great. I want to follow that. Then it also says, um, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Um, I don't know. Uh, are you wearing pure cotton, pure wool? Okay. But if that's a polyester blend, we'll stone you right after the podcast. It, 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 I, I don't, I don't follow that. So some, I want to follow some, I don't. And then he has this rule that if you, um, if you're a farmer this is Leviticus 19 and you it's harvest time, you should not harvest the edges of your field. Do not harvest the edges of your field, but leave your harvest untouched at the edges of your field. So I could read that verse and say, that has nothing to do with me. That's an irrelevant verse of the Bible. It has nothing to do with me. And on the surface, it's true. I'm not a farmer. And if I was a farmer today and I didn't harvest the edge of my field, what good would that do? It makes no sense. But if I look at the reason behind the rule, I look at the love behind the law, I realize that with a little bit of study, I can find out that that was one of the ways of taking care of the poor. If you don't harvest the edge of your field, then the poor people can come and have something to eat after you've done your harvest. You've left some behind for the poor. Because most of the poor back in Bible days were out in the rural areas. That's where the poor were. So farmers left them. It's taking care of the poor. That's the principle. But if I'm a farmer today, most and I and I don't harvest the edges of my fields because I need to follow the Bible. I'm not helping the poor because there are no, at least in my country, there's not there's no poor people wandering in the rural areas. Most of the poor people have migrated into the cities, into the urban areas. So for me to love the poor, I don't just, I don't just leave the harvest out there in the field for them to eat. I'm going to harvest everything and then take the extra and send it to a mission, to a ministry in an urban center that takes care of the poor. So, for, but for me to do that, for me to love the poor, I actually have to break the letter of the law, uh-huh. right? Don't harvest the edge of your field. I'm going to break the law so I can release the love. Like uh-huh. the perfume in the container, I got to break the law. I'm going to harvest all of the harvest and then give some to the poor that way. Uh-huh. And sometimes the when we understand the, the love, we're going to end up breaking the law. So Jesus in Matthew 5 is teaching us how to make every verse of the Bible relevant to our lives. But it's not the letter of the law. The Apostle Paul says the letter kills. It's the spirit that gives life. So we break it and we release the spirit. And that's how we follow Jesus. That's how we read our own Bibles. Mm, which is why like, you see Jesus typically going about uh, um, healing people on the Sabbath. Yeah. That's like really breaking the law. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and Jesus is helping them see it. Um, my new covenant is not law based; it's love based, and you always need to make the loving choice. I mean, it, it kind of drives home one of the central points about reading scripture and about sorry about reading the Bible for us as Christians. Because if we if we can see the picture that Jesus is painting, that he is a representation of what God is like. And for us, we see that God is love. Then we can see how Jesus' life was driven by love. And therefore, we can see how um, even his disciples after him, like in the book of Acts, their way of doing things was driven by love. So that there were times when they, they actually went against Old Testament teaching and so on. But they were okay with doing that. Because yes. That, that, I mean, because they had a vision of Jesus Christ, um, they had drenched themselves and soaked themselves in Jesus. They could live a life where 
for a lot of people, they looked like people who were disobeying the laws of Moses. I mean, they were still Jews, still living among their Jewish brothers and sisters, but they looked like people who were disobeying the laws. Meanwhile, they were only breaking the, the, the letter of the law, but the actual spirit of the law, they were, they were living up and were, they were, they were yes. keeping the rules. Yeah, they were, they're fulfilling the law. They're fulfilling the law by finding the love and following that. Yeah. Um, when I was a child, my parents gave me rules. Um, you know, one of the rules was go to bed at eight o'clock. Um, another rule was uh, you can't, you can't get ice cream out of the fridge unless you ask mom and dad. Another rule was you have to check with them before playing outside because the weather uh, you have to find, I, I might run outside without a jacket if it was cold or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another rule was I had to eat all my vegetables. I didn't have to eat, I didn't have to eat, um, you know, all my bread, but I did have to eat all my vegetables. There are rules like that. When kids are really young, sometimes they just need rules, especially if they're strong willed children, if they're hard hearted and mm-hmm. that's what we were like. That's what we were like in the old covenant is a way of God parenting young children with hard hearts and strong wills. And so he gives them a lot of clear rules. You got to go to bed at this hour. You got to eat all your vegetables. You have to hold my hand when we walk down the street. So you don't run into the street. There's rules, but when you have a young child, you can't reason with them. Why eating too much ice cream is, is not good for you. And why you have to go to bed at eight o'clock. Every kid says, why do I have to go to bed at eight o'clock? They say, well, it's good for you, but I'm not tired. It's still good for you, but I don't, you get to stay up later. And so at some point you just have to say, go to bed. You just have to listen to mom and dad and go to bed. <laughs> That's the old covenant. And it's not wrong. It was right for the time. It was right for the time. And God often says, you're stiff necked people. You have hard hearts, but then the new covenant gives us the Holy spirit that softens our hearts and helps us grow up. And now when we're, we're still God's children, but now we're God's adult children and Mm -hmm. adult children. You don't keep calling your mom and dad and saying, what time do I have to go to bed tonight? And do I have to eat all my vegetables? And what about if I eat my vegetables tomorrow? Is it okay if I don't eat them? You don't have to keep asking your parents, what are the rules? What are the rules? Uh, Now you have a loving relationship with your parents and if you were to call them regularly and say, mom and dad, what are the rules for today? Your mom and dad wouldn't be proud of you. They wouldn't say, yay, my child, Adam, my child, Salorum. They call me every day and say, what are the rules? They would say, oh, no, like my kids will grow up. <laughs> what makes your parents happy is when they see you grow up and live a loving life and really love other people well. Then they say, okay, that's a win, that my parenting worked because my kids have grown up and become loving not because they've grown up and they keep asking me about the rules and that's i think that's what we are called to do in the new covenant the new covenant is our chance to grow up and to live a life of love Jesus is the main focus. We're supposed to know Jesus in the mind of Christ. Um, let that be explicit. And the most important thing we have to focus on is Jesus. Mm. The Jesus life, um, like Raxi was saying, um, mm. go to Jesus first before you start going to any other parts of the scriptures. Like get Jesus mm. first before you start opening, you start focusing on, on the proverbs um, to get <laughs> wisdom. Yeah. Like um, in, in, in Africa, I know we get lots of people focusing on trying to be very wise. So we focus on wisdom, go to Ecclesiastes and get um, to understand the preacher and all these things. But Jesus is the key. Jesus is the main focus. Him being the main focus will help us to 
um, understand what God's plan is and what really God wants to do with us. And um, that's an interesting way to end. Um, amen. Yeah, amen. Um, Brushy, do you have any anything to add to that? Well, just to to echo what you're saying, Salam. There's there's no one who is more wise in history than Jesus, yeah. even wiser than King Solomon. We say Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, is the wisest man who ever lived. No, actually, he wasn't. Jesus is the wisest man who ever lived, and um, and so we really want to learn from Jesus first and foremost, and then learn from everybody else in the Bible. I really uh, cheering you guys on with what you're doing with Simply Christ. Uh, Non-Christians need Jesus and Christians need Jesus as well. So uh, keep it up. Yeah. Thank you so much, Baxi, for making the time to be with us. Um, We'll be in touch. I'm sure we have a bunch of topics that um, will will be interesting to have discussions with you about. So um, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. So All right, thank you, um, my yeah, thank you so much, Roxy. We would would be in touch. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank we'll you. keep in touch. All right. Okay. 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 Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Bye.